welcome to the Tales of the Cold North. Our recap of our adventures in our Dungeons and Dragons campaign featuring members of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Hey you folks, it's your host, the Conzi with the Most. And I am joined today for our first episode of the Tales of the Cold North by all of these fine gentlemen. Why don't you go ahead and give yourselves a fine round of introductions? That's Dark Raving Man, sometimes known as Brian, is here. Who else do we got? Hey, it's Justin, uh, the Meeple's Champion. And it is Matt, the Ghost Walker. Wow, we're getting better at that every time we do it. Uh, only a few, only a few dozen more times, and we'll sound like pros. All right. So first off, the welcome to the, the the tales of the cold north. This is our short series, or that will detail all of our fun that's had at the gaming table for our Dungeons and Dragons campaign, featuring uh, the campaign setting, uh, the product, the module, the Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. You can pick up. Uh, in episode 83, everything that happened previously, but uh, if one of you fine gentlemen want to give us a really quick recap of what what happened in previous episode, that will give everybody an idea of what happens, and we'll dive into talking about this new session and what you guys achieved. Last time on Tales of the Cold North. Our first session was on the normal Wisco Dice feed, uh, and you can go back and check that out, like Ben said. To to quick recap, we had a we had two separate parties of of adventurers: a sorcerer uh, deacon, the monk Yanros, and the druid uh, Rika, who had been traveling together and searching for some sort of solution to to fix the disappearance of the sun in Icewind Dale. They were. Uh, quickly joined with Koth, the half-orc paladin, and uh, Lindel, uh, the halfling rogue, and joined forces and uh, set out to solve a... Uh, to investigate a series of murders that have been happening in the Ten Towns. Pursue the group that is is suspected to be responsible. They got sidetracked a little bit and went on a search for some iron that had been lost by a, a group of dwarves. Uh, they rescued it from a band of goblins to uh, ultimately return it successfully to back to Bryn Shander for a small reward. And at the start of the second session, the characters uh, were waking up at the the North Lick in Bryn Shander the next morning. That is when Koth and Lindel got to meet Sixth party member Swifty, the human wizard, for the first time. Yep, so that, that pretty much starts us at session two, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so now that you're all caught up on where and what we did, let's take a look at what happened in session two of the of this Cold North campaign. I think the the next day started like a lot of adventures do, sort of in that little bit of downtime. It was nice to see the addition of a new party member uh, with Swifty, who it is 
you know, obvious is making up for his lack of half. He's not half or halfling or half elf. So he's got to make up somehow. So he's obviously elected for, uh, I will say, comedic, comedic relief, which is which is a nice, I think, addition to the group. Um, he's always telling jokes. But it started out in that interim with, like, I think a lot of times do, you do the traditional, you know, hey, we're going to go sell stuff. We're going to get ourselves ready to go again because we've done that just the day before. But, uh, you know, I think... The- it went pretty quick, but you know, right about the time we kind of finally got our stuff together, we we you know we made those hard decisions like, hey, we just got fifty gold. What do we want to do with it? Oh, we don't have a lot of healing. Well, I guess we'll go buy ourselves a healing potion. So, you know, we had to make those kind of trans transitions. But um, we're about to leave town again, and darned if another uh, person doesn't come up and say, hey, look, there were, you know, the the bar the where we're staying, you know. The, the shipment of mead never arrived from good mead. So the good news for us, I think, is, hey, it's already on the way. We were already heading to that town. It's probably something we said we'll, 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 we'll look into. Though I could tell, <laughs> at least, some of the characters were like, oh my god, not again. Why are we going to get torn off this track? So I kind of, I felt like at least a little bit, I was like, Come on, guys, it's the same town. We'll be okay. We can always send word back. We don't have to run all the way back here. We can just, you know, maybe deal with this real quick. So at least I feel like that's where we landed right as we were leaving town. I certainly wasn't quite that evil to make you have to choose which direction you wanted to go yet. I do remember Rika at some point just being exasperated that there was yet another thing that would distract us. You know, I felt like the road was pretty, pretty easy going until we got to, you know, the outskirts of the town of Goodmead. And, you know, we were starting to get into the the forests and things like that. And I think we, we were trying to follow our traditional way of rolling and getting all those bad rolls out early. Um, I was pretty sure nobody was going to see what Ben was having us run role perception checks for and then all of a sudden you know somebody out of the blue had made their role and it was like hey there's this fox shadowing us in the trees and that's kind of odd very quickly turned and you know it turned out the fox was just um was able to talk which was really odd because you know we figured hey we've got a druid she'll she'll go and she'll go talk with animals and she preps her spell, goes and casts it, and then the thing starts talking common. So, yeah. what a, what, you know, but I thought that was a, a nice trick. And I, I don't know, how, how would you describe him? How do you guys, how would you describe the fox? The fox was like just super sort of energetic and, and flighty. And he, I, I just remember him being like, hey, hey guys, <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> I think what, what was the first things we started? asking it i think lindell seemed the most suspicious about it like we were wondering why it was following us like was kind of the immediate question i guess and i think like the fox was smart enough to talk but wasn't overly complicated so it's just like i'm watching you guys <laughs> it's like well why are you watching us? oh yeah, yeah it's like we're watching i'm watching people on the road or something yeah like, yeah yeah 
But I mean, we did kind of quickly figure out that the the fox was made capable of speaking due to the intervention of a more powerful druid. And I'm going to butcher her name, but I think it was Ravison, and uh, you know who, oddly enough, was tied to our druid because our druid had had studied under this druid for a while. So, right. you know, we got a little bit out of Rika, who who kind of shared that, you know. Ravison wasn't necessarily a bad person, but they weren't exactly the kindest, gentlest master either. So they could be a little bit of a a taskmaster and stuff like that. At least that's how I interpreted it. I didn't I didn't know if I really thought they were necessarily cruel, but I will say in character, you know, my character's like, I trained as a monk. That sounds pretty normal to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. You know, I mean, that was interesting because it's like we're already seeing these tie-ins from our backgrounds where it's like this person who is tied to somebody in the party has somehow flitted across our path. And what is this person going to be involved with us for? And I don't know. It just got the juices flowing pretty quickly for me. And I don't know enough about Rika's background to know, like, other than this person's in her background, how does this person tie in? You know, it'll be interesting. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how it develops myself. So she said she had like trained with her or studied under her, but I don't remember if she said like it was for like a long time or just a short period. Do you guys remember? Was it like, was, was it a long time teacher of hers or just like she trained her for a little bit? Do you remember? Oh. Uh, I don't recall exactly either. I, I do recall though that the fox told us that Revison, uh, this other druid, had been gone for a long time, and and we were trying to figure out like when it had last seen her, and and he's like, I haven't seen her in ages, or something like that. There arose a debate as to whether foxes were able to tell time enough to give us <laughs> enough information on that. <laughs> At least like, four days. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. When you think about it, right? How, well, how does it tell time? Yeah. I mean, I know we were able to at least get a little more information out of the fox, like the the deal about the fox said there was an ogre because we did ask mm-hmm. about mead, you know, and because the fox is watching the road. Did you see the mead thing come through? And he said it was taken by an ogre. Yep. And I, and I know in in character, my character's like, okay, ogres are pretty powerful. You know, that could be rough, but there are a lot of us. There's six of us. So if it's just one ogre. <laughs> I think we'll be okay, right? You yeah. know, no but, problem. Yeah, we got general directions, but I mean, it is a fox, so it's open to interpretation. We'll just say that. Yeah, it might have just pointed its nose in some direction, <laughs> like it went that way. That was basically what it said. Was it was kind of off that direction, and that's where we kind of left that. And I know Lindo was still pretty suspicious about how he is reporting to the druid, and we had found out like the druid was like uh whatever worship maybe i don't know if that's the right word but to the frost maiden oriel and that's maybe like our kind of nemesis in this case like i don't know if it's you know definitely an evil thing we're trying to go after or whatever but there was some discussion lindo seemed very much to want to kind of end the fox like kill it to (laughs) stop watching us and like of course rika being the druid didn't want to go with that and like, I don't think any of the rest of us really saw a need to do that. So I think we kind of talked him out of that. But he seemed awfully suspicious of the fox. <laughs> Leave it to the rogue to want to stab something. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. 
Stabby, stabby time. Yeah. But I think that's where we kind of left the fox at that point and kind of continued on, kind of tried to mark our spot a little bit where we had seen him and maybe where we could find the ogre and then continued on mm-hmm. towards the town. Yeah. Well, and I think the rest of the trip was fairly uneventful, if I'm remembering correctly, into uh, into good mead. And then, you know, wasn't too difficult on our way into town because, you know, I, I think the thing that really struck me as we got into good mead was how, like, I had this vision in my head of how small the 10 towns were, but I don't think it really struck home until we were, like, in good mead. And I'm like, this is one of the, quote, major towns of of the 10 towns, at least in my head. Right. But then I'm like, okay, what are the major structures? The mead hall. (laughs) Oh, and there's this little shrine somewhere, you know, and it's like, Oh, this is really not a big area, you know? And it's just kind of the, the thing that really struck me from my head was just that, Oh, wow. This is like, there really aren't that many people up here in the cold North, you know? So you know, we did we did very quickly find who we were looking for, though that caravan of uh, difficult, well, difficult. I guess that's the wrong word. You know, caravan of those potentially dangerous people. So yeah, they were right camped right inside the entrance. I think like dealing wares, right? Real quick, Matt jumped into describing Goodmead. One of the things that I'm doing as a DM is I have a a handout for each town that the players reach. So immediately as they reach the edge, border edge of, of Goodmead, we have characters that are from the 10 towns. They would be able to share a lot of this information. It's a really, none of the towns are very big. It's really a small town community. General information is, is contained within this handout. It's usually a page or two pages. And I, I just give it, I just move it into a, a Google share. So we stopped as they got into the edge and they read this handout, which is where I think, Matt, you came with that, that whole idea that this town is not big and there's nothing here. And it's good. Meat is a town of 150 people, roughly, roughly. Yeah. Then yes, as you came up, you ran into this merchant caravan, right? Justin, that's yep. where you were going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, Lindell immediately, he recognized them pretty quickly or was able to at least like confirm, like, yes, that's them. I think he uh, he he basically immediately started to put on a disguise because he wanted to <laughs> not get recognized by them. So like he uh, he ended up throwing on a disguise. Trying to just sort of what I think, Matt, you said he, he was just trying to fly casual past him. And not get noticed since he would be recognized probably, whereas they don't know the rest of us. And uh and then Matt and did Rika go with you to you guys went to shop yep. at the place, right? I think Rika and Deacon. Deacon went with mm. us too. So Yeah, the, we both went. Yeah. The and, thing I was I always laugh though, I had get this image and, and it's like everybody tries like I get this image of this group of six people. They're approaching. They spot the merchant caravan, and then they stop dead in the middle of the road to have this five to seven minute debate before breaking up. Because it's, <laughs> I don't know why I always get this amusement in my head. Because you're like everybody's like, oh, and then we move on, and I'm like, so you stopped immediately on seeing them, 
had this kind of furious debate amongst yourselves, and then you tried to fly casual. <laughs> so, I don't know. I always find that amusing because it almost always happens because it's like you literally stopped in the middle of the road. Like, what are you going to do? There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Nice to be a little more spontaneous about it, like treat it almost like an encounter kind of thing. Yeah, it was just kind of interesting. I don't know. It's kind of how the game flows, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it does. I just, I always, I don't know why, I always get a chuckle out of it inside my head because it's just kind of the way it flows. And, and mm -hmm. just, I thought Rika did a pretty good job of staying true to form. She immediately was like, shiny baubles, you know, she's, she's the druid. I'm looking for ribbons, shiny baubles, and stuff like that. So she just kind of dove right in and, you know, went searching for that stuff. And, I know we were all like sizing them up and there were like five very clearly armed people in the area. And then of course the one guy that we're looking for, we could recognize pretty quick because I thought it was a really nice description. A guy tall, slightly taller in his mid thirties. He's got this olive complexion, almost no body hair, which I have to imagine is not real common in the far North. You know, the black hair and a ponytail, well-dressed, but not warmly dressed, you know? Yeah, I, I got a picture of, like, a, a Mediterranean-looking yeah. guy, maybe, you know? or And even maybe that type of clothing, the way he described it, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really well done, because you kind of get this, like, image in your head of this guy kind of hanging out. And, you know, we all know it's flipping cold, you know, it's minus 30, and he's not wearing a coat. <laughs> so... No, I thought I thought it was good. So, and I think uh, we we knew that this was our our target, and uh, one of you guys like engaged him and were like directly asking him like, "Why are you able to resist the cold or whatever?" Right? Uh, I can't. I think that happened then when you were shopping, right? Yeah, I yeah. can't. Remember. Was Rika, that you? Yeah, Rika and you, your character were kind of more shopping, and then I think. Like we didn't actually have to directly approach him. I think Torg, the kind of the dwarf uh, merchant leader person, kind of came over to us. Yeah, I don't remember exactly why, but she just kind of came over and talked to us. And uh, that dude, uh, I can't remember his name now either, but the interesting guy, yeah. uh, he had come over along with her. So since she kind of started the conversation, and then uh, my character was more curious about the other guy, so I kind of asked him a few things directly. It was kind of a learning thing from this session. Like, I really didn't expect to, like, you know, just be able to go up and, like, walk up and talk to these guys kind of thing. So it kind of threw me off because I didn't really prepare for that. Like, I was wanting to find this guy and kind of shake him down a bit and stuff. But then when it happened, I was like, oh, that's not what I expected. So I kind of ran out of things to ask. <laughs> so. Yeah, this this was not the interrogation scenario you had envisioned, <laughs> was it? <laughs> I thought we had to have to, like, you know kind of sneak around and be more careful and that's kind of what we ended up doing but this first encounter was so casual it just kind of i wasn't prepared for that so i think i'm gonna have to before sessions kind of think about things and possibilities of that happening like things you want to find out and stuff like yeah. that well i was just gonna say it seemed like it forced you brian to to be a little more diplomatic and careful with your questions to sort of ask it in a way that didn't seem like you were prying too much, sort of, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of blatant curiosity more than, yeah. you know, 
investigating. <laughs> and, and we learned So I guess that... maybe that's good. I didn't have something too prepared and got ourselves in trouble or anything like that. <laughs> well, yeah. but we did learn from that, that, that he is like, a, uh, I forget the exact term, but he was born yeah. on a midwinter night or day and is therefore, what, what do they call it? A child of Oriel or something like that. So it's like a, a special blessing that's potentially uh, bestowed upon any person who's born like on this specific day. Is, is that what you guys remember? Yeah, it was certain rumors that some worshipers, if they're born on midwinter's day, can stand more colder temperatures and stuff like that. But I was thinking we got some of that details maybe from the elderly woman, Olivessa, that we talked to oh, later. Oh, right. No, you got it straight from Suffolk. We did? Okay. Well, I think he was the one that shared that, but for some reason I had it on my notes later, so I don't know what we how I yeah. got that. But um but yeah, I mean I know the dwarf came to me because I was kind of poking around, but I wasn't finding what I was looking for. And then I used the excuse to ask a few questions, partially because I, I was asking like because I am not from this particular region of the Ten Towns. I was asking if they had trade goods from farther north and things like that, because that's where I'm from. So, I mean, I, I had definitely asked about those, but they didn't seem to have any, which kind of makes sense to me. There's a roving caravan. They would sell things along the way, and they probably wouldn't have very many things left over. But, yeah, I mean, we didn't, I don't felt like we, I mean, at least, like you said, it seemed much easier to talk to them. I didn't, like you said, it, I, I don't know, it didn't seem like that hard to get some basics out of them, but I didn't feel like we made any progress there either. Yeah, so. we got a little bit, um, I guess some useful stuff we got, like before we left, we kind of asked when they were headed out of town and stuff like that. So we could kind of stay on schedule, especially if we we're going to have to go track down this mead. So we actually got from them like where they were going. I think it was East Haven they were headed to next. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they were leaving the next morning or whatever. And mm-hmm. like we got like how much longer they were going to be selling stuff there and stuff like that. And also kind of found out about their route a little bit and, they did confirm for us that they all the places where those murders had happened had been on their kind of trade route. So we got some good information out of it, although it wasn't super confrontational or, you know, big discoveries or anything like that at that time. And at that point, we kind of left it at that and kind of carried on into town. Deacon ended up, I had him stay behind and try to casually keep an eye on them, kind of at the front of the town there to try and figure out where they had been staying in town while everybody else kind of continued on to the mead hall to kind of complete the rest of our investigation of the town and kind of track down any more information about what was happening with the mead delivery. I will say that the interaction here, and I had it planned to basically play out the way it did, but I found it was a really neat way to contrast and put you guys in a position where you couldn't use the same tactics that you use to deal with the goblins. And I think that, you know, when you talk about it from the way you pictured it and we're going to approach it in your head, it was, Brian, it was, you know, hey, I was going to have, you know, catch him kind of maybe maybe in the street or something, maybe catch him as he's stalking, stalking, going to kill somebody or, or something else, some other scenario like that. And, oh, no, here's this wide-open trade market. Yeah, yeah, how can I help you? Uh, which 
which was uh, such a really interesting co- contrast to, to be able to throw at you guys as the player characters and give you a new challenge that you had to try to unlock and and to make this more into a mystery that you have to solve and not necessarily yeah. a, hey, brute force or intimidation mm-hmm. or physical prowess might necessarily unlock all of the mysteries. Yeah. I was just going to say it might be a little more like realistic to our investigation. Like everything's not, you know, folding out page after page in front of us. Like we're going to have to actually do some digging and kind of have some more real world encounters. We're not catching everybody red handed, you know, following the breadcrumbs kind of thing that we're going to have to figure out the story for ourselves. I I agree with that. I mean, the, the thing that I struggled with was I, I like, I agree with what Ben set up because as soon as I saw there's like five heavily armed people, the dwarf who approached me had a, a, a hand axe on each hip. I mean, they, there's this, Im, they're traitors, but they're armed traitors. Everybody's ready to bear arms. And I was like, okay, this is not a frontal assault type scenario. <laughs> You know, so um, I don't know. I mean, that definitely caught me off guard. I will say, I think as we get a little deeper in, the thing that really threw me off for a loop was I left our interactions with these guys and some of the later interactions not really being sure if this dude's good or bad. Like, I don't think he was, you know, necessarily either way. I didn't get a strong impression like... He's the he's the bandit. He's the guy I've got to hunt him down, and we just need to set it up. I was like, hmm. I mean, these people yeah. are way more armed than a merchant caravan. That's for sure. There's some rough dudes, but I don't know if they're tied to this or not. I will point out, if you recall the start for where the dwarves were in the previous uh, adventure that you had completed, that they were ambushed by Yeti. Basically, yes, they were they were off the the patrol roads but they were ambushed by tundra yeti so being armed as a caravan maybe not necessarily that abnormal being armed while you're on the town outskirts trying to sell stuff okay maybe you've got something there but you know there is definitely logic between behind having merchants being armed in mm-hmm. this particular area neck of the world where monsters could ambush you on the road yep I mean, it should be pretty common for merchants, caravans to hire mercenaries or protection of some kind. At the very least, we didn't want to come at them guns blazing. <laughs> yeah. But we but we eventually hatched a plan. Yeah. Well, and it was nice that the other three, and none of who happened to be on... Or no, you were there, Koth. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you guys did while we were talking with them? Because you got to the Mead Hall first, and you know, got approached by some people. So why don't you talk about that section? Cause you were kind of on your own there with um, Lindell and Swifty. Yeah, I think so I, I thought that uh, you guys had kind of caught back up with us before we started talking to proprietor of the Mead hall. We had spoke with the, I guess it's the owner of the, the good mead mead hall. Uh, also just nice flavor note. Like, the the description of the mead hall that just the sound of bees sort of permeates sort of the town almost and then as you get to the hall it's just like this this hum constant hum of bees really nice sort of descriptive piece there when when we were at the mead hall 
But uh, we were inquiring about the missing mead, which had like essentially been on its way to Brinchander. I believe that the lady told us that. Help me with the name of the person who runs a town. <laughs> just the town speaker. The speaker. The speaker. I just just what they're called. The speaker of the town is basically seen like battling a giant. She said who like killed him or at least battled him or fought with him and made off with the mead as is what I recall. So now like, you know, we have the report of, of the Fox saying, Hey, it's ogres. And I think he basically was like, yeah, we saw a giant. So we're like, uh, is it, are, are now we talking about giants? Uh, that's a different no, situation. She said an ogre. She did say ogre. Okay. Okay. Thanks for the correction. I, I couldn't remember when, when giants became a, possibility but basically when you encountered it the first time okay which we'll we'll get to but yeah well the funny thing is i have ogre slash giant on my notes so somewhere in that conversation i, like I swear yeah. somebody said it could have been a giant or an ogre but yeah you know. maybe maybe she kind of you know they didn't really wasn't really clear the the mm-hmm. person because the person ran back who had accompanied the speaker to town and it let them know and yeah. he wasn't very clear. Just this okay. giant ogre. Something. I think you may have described yeah. it as a giant ogre or giant yeah. ogre thing or whatever that it, to her, yeah. and that's how gotcha. she related it. Now we're setting up to track down this thing that had stolen the meat and killed the speaker of the town. So, yeah, yeah. We, we I mean, we she struck essentially, a deal. Yeah, yeah. She offered us to stay at her home. We cook us some delicious muffins. If we return the meat to them, or well, or what did she want? I think we, we just had to be able to track down to the meat the and yeah. see if we could yeah. get it back. And mm-hmm. they would take care of dri- dropping it off, if I recall. Yeah, but, right. To take it back to Brinchen or deliver yeah. it. Yeah. But then while we're doing this, Deacon's off doing his thing. So after that conversation, you guys were still at good meat and figuring out where we're going to stay the night. I had stayed back. Well, Deacon had stayed back to keep an eye on the merchants. I think they kind of packed up as it was going to get, well, darker than it normally is, I guess, all the time. Yeah. Um, but they closed up their shop, and I luckily, casually enough, kind of followed them and figured out where they were staying. And it seemed like I kind of settled up pretty well there. So I went back to where you guys knew I'd be to let you guys know where I had found that they were staying and then we kind of hatched a plan to set up a watch and keep an eye on anything that would happen throughout the night. Yeah. And just kind of went through the watches and, you know, leave it to <laughs> leave it to at least some person to take a shortcut while doing watches. Cause you know, we're all, I think that this is where I love the in character versus out of character knowledge because in character, my character is, completely convinced that you know everybody did their part and and did whatever you know out of character mike i'm i'm like staring at what swifty did and went seriously you're just gonna have your your familiar who you can't even see through their eyes (laughs) for the distance you're at (laughs) doing the watch for you while you sleep really (laughs) we each took our turns one by one we 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 went out in the cold and it's cold right it's it's overnight Mm -hmm. that we're doing this uh, each took our turns watching and rolling our checks and seeing what's going on. And was Swifty the final watch? No, I think he was like middle of the night. Middle of the night. He 
ends up. So he has a, a familiar, uh, an owl. I think its name was MacGuffin. <laughs> yep. So he decides to send his familiar MacGuffin to return to him if it notices anything. And like Matt said, it's outside of his range that he can actually see through its eyes. So Swifty just slept through his watch and sent his owl instead. <laughs> you know. And during that time, well, during that time, of course, the uh, you know the owl gets spotted by I believe it was the the guy who can make the ice knives, the guy who's never dressed well, Perfect. Who, who then whips two daggers, ice daggers at it, and then all why? we know well, why did is... he throw those daggers? Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think he noticed it right away, but like so he come like he we get finally get some action where they're staying. Like Sephik comes out, you know, the dude that we're most interested in. I think he goes over to like take a leak at the side of the building or something yep. like that. And then mm-hmm. the familiar decides to start hooting. <laughs> I assume that's what you know for sure got its attention. Like yep. I don't know, maybe you can tell this is some magical owl, but so he's like hooting at it, and then last thing it sees. Um, you know, it was some ice knives coming at it, and that was the end of that. <laughs> so it's, and Swiftly jolts awake as it dies because I guess he can sense when it dies. I, I think that's yeah. how that works, right? I don't know if he actually can. I have to go read the spell description, but it seemed narratively to fit, no, yeah, fit the sequence. And yeah. like, all he caught was that last minute, that last second or two snapped him awake as he saw the, the, the immediate death of the dagger, the dagger <laughs> piercing the owl or coming, you know, hitting the owl. That's what he sees. Wake snaps awake. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt like, although that was funny, it was kind of a bit of a blunder on our adventures part, <laughs> but it's interesting. Like it would have been really good to know, like, you know, what he had gotten up to. Maybe it was better that one of us didn't get ice knifed or something like that if we weren't careful enough, but yeah, there possibly was some information we could have got there that we now don't have, but... Hey, Deacon could, Deacon could have hit, taken his, I'm going to corner him in an alley and uh, beat the snot out of him, but, you know, sorry, Deacon. We you didn't are. let yourself get slaughtered by uh, ice knives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we did get the confirmation from that though that Sephic does indeed have ice knives, or that that at least I guess yeah, the, so. the question of how much we know about the owl dying is maybe up in the air a little bit in terms of what yeah. our characters know. You but, found uh, the shards. Did we go back? Ice. Yeah, we shot. We, we found right. one ice dagger that was still frozen, okay. laying there, and the other one was shattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the thing that threw me off is that, um, like, if we, you know, just living through the lens of my character is not a caster. And I'd say what, we're probably at least good 50% are casters or more. The thing that threw me off is then all of a sudden, I think it was either Rika or even maybe it was Deacon was like casually like, oh, yeah, I can totally do ice daggers too. And I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. Where does- yeah. She just has that spell. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, you're, 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 you totally left that out last week, which was actually not an, like out of character made total sense, you know, because we added the use of, I think, some of the additional source books. And I think that was in the Temple or the Elemental Evils book. So when we were like sort of the level one characters, nobody knew that spell. And they were all like, where does that spell come from? And, <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> spent a little time studying and went, oh, I guess that's a pretty common spell, actually. <laughs> so maybe I don't know how we all we both ended up selecting it. Like I know Rika like popped out that she had had it right away. Like I don't know if your characters necessarily know that Deacon has it, kind of thing. But because I haven't actually I, casted it yet or anything, I just happen I, to have the spell card on the table. I thought, just, <laughs> I thought you just happened to say something, but you didn't. Like it was very like brief. It wasn't anything like an in-depth discussion. So, no. but but yeah, then we hit the morning, and that was kind of like uh, you know we we had to hit those muffins in the morning, or was it something different? She had it for us in the morning. No, it was I the chocolate muffins. But like after the watch had got disrupted, I think a few of us had set out on the town to kind of investigate anything we could find because Swifty upon having his familiar taken out, like, kind of let us know. Yeah. So I know Koth had kind of roamed the whole town. I had went with Lyndall and Deacon. I think we snuck around a little more, but we didn't really get much besides finding the ice daggers. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we were trying to look for maybe if there was a body or some sign of Any something interest? suspicious. Yeah. But yeah. alas, didn't find anything and wrapped up there and had breakfast and then I think we set out to conquer our other side quest of figuring out the mead situation. Yeah, I, I I will say that was kind of an interesting one because I did feel like that was an interesting debate amongst the in players in character. Because like the exasperation growing in certain characters like Rika's like, oh my god, really? Not again. We're distracted. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like Deacon was kind of there too. Like Deacon was like oh, We'll do it, but I'm not real happy with it. Um, <laughs> being that we had a lead on where they were going and that they would be there, and we, I think we talked about the timeline, like, we should be able to take care of this today kind of thing, and even possibly still get to East Haven, but I guess it's to be seen as we go on here if that is actually going to happen or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that was kind of nice, because then we exited the town, and the first thing we see is this figure coming out i think it was a i think it was a dwarf maybe it was just a normal human that had a, a trap and what's in the trap the fox a frantic <laughs> the frantic adhd <laughs> fox <laughs> you know? yeah, until right away if it's the same fox but yeah i, I mean i think rika whispered to it or or how did that uh, how did we find out that it was in fact the talking fox? She kind of, I think she just decided to just pay him for it. She just said, oh, she I'll buy the, the whole trip. I think she paid for it. I think she ended up buying. She yeah. bought the trap and everything. And then the Fox would not talk until we'd bought the trap and took, took the Fox away. And then it, it was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Because, yeah, I think she had released it instantly, which was kind of odd to the trapper person. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a druid. Come on, man. Off into the forest. It was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> or, and then we got directions from the fox right then. We so did. We had the fox lead us. And then. That was sort of its thank you for, for releasing it, I think. <laughs> Was leading yep. us to the to our doom. Hmm, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was like one of those nice situations because we got there, and you know, of course, 
and we're checking out, we're doing the party thing. And, you know, we finally get to this cave, which was this wonderful sort of setup that we're like outside the cave and we got this chance to, to check everything out. And we're like, okay, we get this toke. This could totally be an ogre cave. And, you know, we took the opportunity to poke around a little bit, but then decided we're going to set a trap. We've got the upper hand. Let's set a trap, you know, <laughs> which will never end badly set for any D and D party ever. No, um, it was such a good plan. <laughs> I will say like, I, well, so I what we were going to do, can, time... we, can we describe the, can we describe what, what our setup was real quick? Yeah, you can describe the setup. I'm just going to say I had a hard time thinking of a way to foil this setup because you guys did do a really good job of planning this and mm. setting it up. You didn't have to foil it. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, I think it made sense uh, the way you did it. But but anyway, so I'll I'll set it up. So we're at the mouth of this cave and we're certain that this is the the cave of the ogre, we think. That is stolen the mead. And so we decided to draw a tightrope, essentially, right? Across the mouth of the cave. And Swifty will attempt to lure the ogre out with the sound of a, of a dying animal. Everyone's sort of set up. Some people are kind of hidden out behind trees, you know. And then I, I think I had Koth was essentially planted him right in front of the cave with the intention of once the thing had been lured out, I wanted it to run at me to trip on the rope because I was kind of thinking if it just walks out cautiously, it's not going to fall on the, on the rope or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so we set the rope. Swifty uses his, maybe it was minor illusion or something like that to make the sounds of this dying deer to lure, lure out this monster and, it echoes into the cave, and we wait. Dun, dun, dun. And nothing. Nothing happened. <laughs> nothing came out of the cave. And then... So then... Sound behind well, us. Well, well, I think you and I, you and I actually went into the cave after that. Because we were like, what's going on? So we, we, we stepped over the rope... And walked into the mouth of the cave. Yeah, that's right. And uh, went back a little bit just to see. And I think Koth might have even just yelled into the cave, like something like, hey, stupid ogre, like, come out here or something. <laughs> and still nothing. And so we're like, Koth goes further in the cave because I want to see if there is any mead. He didn't find anything. He didn't go very deep in the cave. So he came back. Yanros is, is just waiting on, at the mouth of the cave. And then, yep. Now done, done, done. <laughs> it was very anticlimactic, and then it was like, oh, the sounds behind us. It wasn't home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then we immediately f hear sounds of what sounds like a female calling the name of somebody who's supposedly lives in this cave. So now we're like. Oh crap, we're completely out of position. All our soft, squishy targets are back towards where this ogre giant, whatever, because we haven't even seen it yet. Yeah. Are standing in the wrong spot. <laughs> and you and I are just on the other side of the rope. Yeah. Yeah, you know, going, oh crap. <laughs> so 
this thing's lumbering through, you know, where you been? Haven't heard from you lately. And we're all like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, then things got a little sideways and twisted. So we tried to demand the mead from it. What was eventually revealed to be, uh, Burbank. Yeah. yeah. And it, I don't think it knew about it at all. Like it was like, what do you mean? What mead? I don't have any mead. Yep. It, it looked like it was carrying some shiny bits of metal. If I recall. Yeah. yeah. Eventually just uh, turned into combat because we wouldn't leave. And it was trying to get into its house. <laughs> or its friend's house. <laughs> or its husband's house or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys blew through that combat. We we dealt with it pretty handily. I, I think yeah. she got one activation. Wow! And I rolled miss miss. There was so, uh, nothing like confidence boost for you guys. Did it? Did it? Yeah, it, it missed both. I was gonna say I I don't remember anybody getting hurt in the in no. the fight with with the I female Gerbic. Poorly on her two her only two attacks she got in that combat. Yeah. In this instance, I might have had Deacon like botch our setup a little bit. Like maybe we could have salvaged our trap a little bit because uh, Ian Rose and Koth uh, were actually in the cave and had its attention, and it was kind of coming at you guys. But like before you got there, I like blasted it in its arm with a firebolt. <laughs> I think trying to get it to drop yeah. its weapon like right before it may or may not have tripped over the rope or something like that. Yeah, I think and you stopped it about in there. So then I was like, like right after I did that, I was like, oh, maybe that didn't really help anything. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it to the sorcerer who got a little impatient. (laughs) I got a little impatient. And then Rika was standing next to me and was like, oh, no, why'd you do this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. She was like, no, I don't want it over here. Ah, crap. And actually had to go and like jump over the rope. And then the combat kind of proceeded from there where, yeah, we like, kind of whatever got our big confidence boost against these not so intimidating ogres after the whiff and then making pretty short work of it yeah i had some really good rolls though i mean i had like the like you were kicking near and flipping perfect. And yeah i had some like near perfect flurry oh man you know unfortunately i think that's where i blew my wad <laughs> it was <laughs> pretty from there on out but i will say the the overall like you guys tapped yourselves pretty good like by the time you go start exploring these caves your most of the spell slots are gone most or all your key points are gone Those aren't. nobody had any <laughs> damage on them but all of the like really heavy hitters souped up stuff was was done the group then decided to go on into the caves, bolstered with full of confidence. <laughs> yeah, I think when we started that encounter, like we might have thought, you know, it was like our main kind of enemy in this track or whatever. But little did we know, as we ventured further into the cave, <laughs> like the, it's a pretty big like cavern system. It just wasn't like a little you know, nook in the wall or whatever kind of thing. Like we couldn't yeah. even see all the way in, so we had to kind of go in. And then Ben unveiled one of his massive like DM feats of 3D printing and had this whole dungeon set all ready yeah. to bust out for us. And that was really awesome. 
Yeah, a yeah. giant, a giant cave with multiple side passages coming out, crates and barrels, and a giant bonfire in the middle. A broken down cart. There was like pens or like a fence for like I guess there was they had goats in, goats in one area or something. Like oh man, <laughs> professional level like cave terrain. Beautiful man. Oh. We'll, yeah. we'll get, we got to get some pictures of that up on the on the blog for this episode. But I think it's Ooh. actually up for the episode 83 post. So okay, uh, yeah, can look no. at it now. I had spent the better part of the past, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks, four weeks before the session printing and painting and laying out in my office is giant board i don't know probably two and a half maybe close to three foot board by two foot board with this room it's just one room basically on this giant board and fit for a giant to live in even a lesser giant like a verbig and so i knew that was where i wanted the action to happen and you guys had done such a good job of and I almost 3D printed up something really cool that would have been that cavern entrance. I just ran out of time. I wanted to reward your effort at setting up that initial, the initial, like, trying to bait them out encounter. But I didn't want to give up the surprise of unveiling this giant piece of artwork that I had done for the game to let you guys kind of just be like that wow moment and so railroad without railroading you guys into that situation was was a trick i didn't want to i didn't want you guys to feel like i was stripping your choice but i was trying to drive you very hard to that moment no i honestly like the way you described it made a lot of sense because you're you're like the cave led deeply into this much larger cavern like it's not a shallow cave it's a tunnel that leads to this big, big cavern where you have all this stuff. So it, it made sense. And then you skipped our, the rest. Whatever pit. noises we were making just didn't even make it down to this this area at all. So I think that totally who, worked in game. Who could hear it over the buzzing of the flies in the flipping refuse pit, man? Oh yeah, the refuse pit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause that was like the first chamber. Uh, first major one, one, big old yeah. pit that mm-hmm. had everything it didn't want to eat or whatever it had thrown down the pit i was waiting for one of you guys to dive down there and try to search it uh <laughs> that's the rogue yeah uh, it was yep. it was only rogue deep down that hole it'll be fine yeah that was a very ugly second fight though i mean that thing came out swinging and you know uh, we I don't think we were quite as well set up for that one. And we definitely spent the bulk of our spells and everything. So like those heavy hits that we could like that we did the first time where like I, there were a couple times I'm pretty sure I dealt over 20 points of damage total. Yeah. That wasn't the way that second one went, <laughs> you know, so three rounds, I think. I think so. But there was a couple of people like I went down, I was near death. Some other people got really yeah, he got knocked close. to zero. Yeah. I got knocked down to almost dead. Six hit points or five hit points, maybe. It was me, you, and 
for some reason, the wizard up in close combat range with this thing, this uh, this this bigger male Verbig, who I forget his name, but uh, and I think well, so what did you go? Did you get knocked down? And then he basically nearly killed me, and I had to like run back to get healing from Rika. Um. Actually, he might have hit me down to like one hit point. Now that I think about it, and yeah, I know you were I, low. I I I ran and left the wizard standing next to the giant, who I think thankfully missed, or maybe attacked you and then knocked you out or something like that. Rika managed to heal me some. Basically, Swifty cast. What was the spell? I thought it was burning hands. And he actually like hypnotized it. He, he hypnotized it. That's what it was. It's a hypnotism spell. Saved us like one round of this thing acting so that we could get prepared to kind of line up and do as much damage as we could to tra- try to take it out before somebody died. Brian, you had kind of like held an action to like wait for it to wake up uh, or to, to kind of shake off the hypnotism. And we basically had all of our actions lined up to go before it got to go. I maybe ended up healing Yanros before we acted. I can't remember. I think so. I think you you did a lay on hands, and then I got back into flanking position because. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely full of vigor down to oh these things hurt. <laughs> maybe we yeah. shouldn't be doing this. It hit me with a critical head. I think. And that's what took me down to, to like one hit point at some some point, and it was hitting hard. We ended up taking it down. This is sort of where we have left the party at the end of this session. We had just defeated this thing, this verbig, and we are wounded. We are out of spells. We are in this cave, this verbig cave, with multiple passages going who knows where. That's sort of where we're we're at right now in the camp in in the in the campaign, and we we talked a little bit about what we should do. Should we try to go back to town? Should we rest here? Yeah, I felt like we'd made the decision that we were going to rest here, but it's going to mm. be dicey because it's like we need to set up rests. Most of the parties, like well, at least the big hitters, are heavily damaged. We're out of spells. <laughs> We really need to get some good good rest for all the casters, and it's just like, wow, we do not have a good spot right now. Yeah, Hopefully, there's not a third one. Cavern there, and like it was a pretty big room, and like there was goats over there, but there was those two barrels and crates. Like we were really hoping, I think, like those couple of barrels might have been the mead we were looking for, but right. <laughs> through some more poor investigating rolls. Barrels were like a barrel of salt and a barrel of pepper, which may have be of some value, but we'd have to like haul them somewhere to actually sell them. And then the crates, one was full of hay, which was, you know, kind of for the animals. And I was trying to remember what was in the other one now. I don't remember what was in the second crate. I don't know. All I know is we spent like 10 minutes trying to open the damn crates. <laughs> oh, yeah. The one was stuck real bad. <laughs> like, I think it took like three of you to open it. Finally, because we all were failing. Um, there was a card in there. I think we talked about maybe we could repair somehow. Repair, yeah. Um, 
But then there was like three other passageways that are yet to be kind of discovered here. So we don't know what else could be lurking in there. Uh, the verbig had actually come out of one of the passageways as we had come into that main chamber. But yeah, as you said, like we were debating if it would be safe for a short rest, but a short rest wouldn't really help everybody as much as they would need kind of thing. And then doing a long rest in that chamber might be dicey because we don't know what's lurking. And same with the path back to town and out of the cave. Like, we don't know what's Mm going to happen since most people are pretty rough shape at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's always the challenge. Right? Difficult decisions. It puts you in in a nice kind of dramatic spot. You have this really tense combat where some of us got really close to death. and. Now we have this tough choice to make. A dramatic spot to be in. It's cool. Yeah, perfect to be continued to end our yeah. session on. <laughs> yeah. I think the only other thing of note I remember was that in this bonfire that was in the middle of this chamber, we noticed oh, yeah. uh, that there was a human arm with like a ring on it, maybe. I think I think we surmised that that might have been the... Uh, the speaker of good mead who is getting roasted up there. So we'll have to figure that out. Restrain himself from immediately just ripping a chunk off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To determine what may be on the spit there. (laughs) We're hungry. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. No, we're not eating that. (laughs) Swifty also happened to find a burnt book. Uh, Oh, yes. in the uh, fire, and he pulled out remains were uh, of the book, which led to a really cool prop that I forgot to hand out while Matt and Robin were still there. So they'll get to see it on the next session. Yeah, it was like a, a parch two two pieces of parchment paper burned, and like you had burned holes in some of it, and it had script printed on there, and the edges were all burnt like you. Like you would yeah. expect, like if it had been just tossed in a fire, it looked really, really cool. So, other than printing the sheet on regular printer paper, I actually stained that paper. I did the all the burning on it, everything. So, oh, so I, you, I, the, the reason it looked kind of parchment is because you stained it. Is what you're saying? Yep. Yep. Oh, is that like the paint. yeah tea or something like that? Coffee. Oh, okay. We usually we usually cool. have leftover coffee in the morning, so I just soaked it in coffee for a little bit and then uh, let it dry and it crumpled it up before I went into coffee. And <laughs> yeah, nice. cool. DIY parchment paper. So yeah, that was that was cool. So I was really pleased with the way the session went. It was for me, it was a lot of fun. It was a little tense. There was. Both of those verbig easily could have, I think by having them separated, it made it more manageable for a bunch of level two characters, but a single hit from a, any of those verbig could have taken one of you down just a, ba- a normal hit. I, I wanted to try to manage that to not completely, like, I, did, I didn't think it was going to set up a TPK, but it got close in that second, that second combat. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are were pretty well stretched, but they were not. They, you know, this is the thing. They, you know, they're basically just bags of hit points and damage output. So, six player characters in the party chew through them pretty fast. Well, 
think you'll you can expect us to be more cautious wandering into random caves and maybe a little more strategic in our <laughs> combat tactics or something because whew. i guess it works out if we're you know we're only level two or whatever so maybe we don't know exactly what we're doing we'll probably yeah. figure it out as we go and our actions might follow along <laughs> or die trying <laughs> i i mean i will say i called it though I said I would be the first one to die. Well, you know, I, I was the die. first one to enter the dying state. <laughs> you failed. Uh, I think you failed the death save, too. I failed right? the first one, yeah. 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 <laughs> Fortunately, somebody got you some healing, and you did not have to rely on dice rolls to uh, survive, so that was good. And uh, so far, we still have a full party of the original six. Yep. So at the beginning of the session, and this is where the DM tips come in, because at the beginning of each of these D&D sessions, because most of my players are playing 5th edition D&D for the first time, there's uh, so there, I feel like it's a really good thing to bring up a rule or an aspect or something I want to focus on or make sure that people are thinking about as we continue through the campaign. And so this session, I brought up character death. From my standpoint as a DM, I want to, there's a lot of investment. Not every D&D campaign is like this, but there's a lot of investment in backstory and in placement of the characters in the campaign and tying them to the narrative elements that are happening in the campaign. I think it's something you have to work to do it in Rime of the Frostmaiden, but the it it really tries to give you that framework, but let you have that creative customization so you can make it your own right in the campaign book. And I wanted to make sure I emphasize that as an option for all of you players, that if something happens inevitably awful to your character, let's hope that that doesn't, but in case it does, that I'm dropping in occasional NPCs that you could take over and turn them into player characters. Now, that doesn't have to be the case. You can customize and take your own player character. But I thought it was a great way to let you know that, hey, if there's a an NPC that you see that's great, then you can dive in and, and start running that character. The other thing that I thought was really great with that is that I offered... To you know, if if you do make a backup character, so that you you know if something bad happens to your character at the start of a session or something like that, that it would be relatively easy to work in your backup character because if your backup character is already done, it gives me options. Like I can start building in that backstory or those tie-ins, or we can sort out where it's going to come in, or it could even make a your backup characters could even make an appearance or two and run into the party while the party is still doing stuff. Character death is something that I think, as a DM, you need to address with your players. It's probably something that could or should be addressed in maybe a session zero or up front early, but I thought it was an appropriate time, particularly with a bunch of tough combats, to go through and make sure that everybody had an idea. And I think it's something that you, as a DM, should discuss with your players before uh, you get too far into the game and it happens. Because far too many times, players get attached to their characters, and when that character dies... Who knows what kind of drama you might have just inserted into your game. All right. And that's your DM tip for this session or for this one. And that should wrap it up for our episode of Tales of the Cold North. Episode one. It's our inaugural episode. 
I am sure that uh, you guys are all excited to follow the harrowing tales of these fine adventurers and see where this campaign takes them. Uh, of course, uh, if you are interested in running this game, you can always pick up the campaign, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, at your local friendly gaming store, or just uh, give them a call over at Misty Mountain Games, and they'll go ahead and be able to take it and get it shipped out to you if you uh, aren't here local to Madison. So that said, I think we're done. Thanks, guys, for jumping on and doing this. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah. See you next so time. Much excitement. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> All right. Until next time. Peace out. Stay cool. <laughs>